Hey, welcome to the Kingdom Church Podcast. We're so glad you could join us. You are listening to the final part in our series in the book of Galatians. So whatever you're doing, wherever you are, sit back, relax, enjoy the message. So glad you guys could be here today. Um, We have been in a journey through the book of Galatians for three months. Come on, somebody. One person's excited at least. That's okay. Um, Hey, listen, I want us to really just receive what God has for us today. So um, if you guys don't mind just staying standing for a second, um, I just want to encourage you that our posture when we come to church means everything. And if we are open to receive, then God will deposit what it is that we need to hear. So um, just going to read kind of a longer passage of scripture, Galatians chapter 6, starting in verse 1, it says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourself, or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks there's something, when they're not, they deceive themselves. Look at the person next to you and say, you ain't all that. Verse 4, continuing on, each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves without comparing themselves to others, for each should carry their own load. I love verse 6. He says, nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. In other words, whoever teaches you deserves to get paid. Amen. Pastor says, Amen. Verse 7, do not be deceived because God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please the flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. Let's not become weary in doing good for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have every opportunity, let us do good to all people. All people. Not just the ones you like not just the ones you agree with, all people, but especially to those who belong to the family of believers. I want to call, listen to this church, our final message in the book of Galatians, the new way, the new way uh, in brackets, we're taking notes, life in the spirit, life in the spirit. Come on, can we clap our hands so loud for Jesus? You guys can take a seat. Uh, this morning. Man, so glad you could be here. Every person here, every person online, just love you guys. Honored you could be here. Um, Hey, if you are uh, new or visiting, haven't been here in a while, my name is Harrison and just want to welcome you. So glad you could be here. Uh, As I just said, this is the final message in our series going through Galatians. And we did something as a church that we've never done before. We went into a book and we literally read the entire thing verse by verse. It took us three months But guess what? Here we are. We made it. You guys made it. And uh, if you've been here in this series, guess what? If you've never read like anything in the Bible, uh, you can say, hey, I've read Galatians. I have read Galatians. And I said, um, it's a great place to start. So uh, it being the first time that we've kind of done a series like this, I just want to thank every single person um, that reached out with encouragement. So many people have been encouraging, uh, even just to me personally in this series, talking about uh, just the difference it has made in them and just all that God is doing. And I just want to say from the bottom of my heart, I appreciate it. Um, Your encouragement means so much because uh, I was telling some people during this series so many times, I wanted to give up, just kind of move on to something else, something different. I'm like, man, how many times, like, can I talk about grace? Like, maybe people are getting bored of it or sick of it, but um, it was your guys' encouragement that kind of kept me going. And so I appreciate that. And what's funny is that a lot of the encouragement and the sentiment from people that gave encouragement. It was kind of the same thing each and every single time. It was like, hey, thank you so much um, for talking about grace because you can never hear about grace too many times. You can never hear enough about grace. And uh, if you have not been with us in this series, I'll catch you up on the last 10 weeks. We have been talking all about grace and the grace of Jesus. And one thing that we have said is that the grace of Jesus is so good. It's better than you could ever imagine. Jesus has made a way where there was no way. And so as a church, I give you permission. When I say that Jesus made a way, you can say, oh, yeah, amen, hallelujah. He made a way where there was no way. And so this whole series, Grace, is about the good news of Jesus. 
Listen to this, church. When you deserved life, Jesus gave you death. When God should have canceled you, he called you instead. So just so excited for that message. And one of the things I said as we started this journey um, way back when, three months ago, was uh, uh, I had a kind of a saying that our worship is a reflection of our revelation. You guys remember this? Our worship is a reflection of our revelation. In other words, the picture that we have of Jesus will always lead us in some sense to worship. And I said my hope in this series is that your worship has shifted. My hope in this series is that your picture of God has so changed that your worship has gotten better. Now, when we think about worship, like I am in some sense talking about what we just did where we come here and we sing and we raise our hearts, we raise our voices, we raise our hands. Like I'm talking about that, like literally, like if you feel in those moments that you cannot worship, that you have nothing to worship for, I just want to say, show me a person who can't worship and I will show you a person that has a bad or unclear picture of Jesus. Because the clearer the picture of Jesus, the more our hearts are just in tune to worship. Now, again, I am talking about that that whole aspect of of singing and and praising and worshiping. But when I talk about the revelation and the response of worship, it is not just limited to this idea of singing. Worship and, and singing go hand in hand, but they are not the fully encompassed version of what worship is. The revelation of Jesus, listen to this, church, is so good that your worship will not, cannot just stop at singing. Because the worship that the revelation of Jesus will bring out inside of us is literally a whole life change. And so um, Romans chapter 12, verse 1, if you guys can remember pre-Galatians days, this was the last sermon that I preached. But I'm going to share it again. Romans 12, verse 1, it says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view... Of God's mercy. You guys remember that? I said, put it in view. In view of God's mercy. Look at this. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and pleasing to God. Look, 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 look. This is your true and proper worship. Your whole entire bodies, your life. This is your true and proper worship. You see, the beauty of the gospel and the worship that it will produce, it is not just singing. It is not just coming here. It is not just at church. Our whole life is engulfed. Our whole life, our bodies literally become an instrument for worship. This is just how we as people are wired. You guys know this. Love, when you experience it in its purest form, it engulfs us. We even use the language, right? Like, I fell in love. What's the picture? It's like my whole body, like I'm stumbling. I fall, I'm head over heels In love. Love actually produces a full body response, a life response. Like I remember um, like when I was falling in love with my now wife, my bride. Come on, somebody. Um, Like when I was like in love, falling in love, I always tell Chris, like I fell in love the moment I talked to you. Come on, somebody. But um, in those moments, like I just remember, like I just so badly just wanted to be in her presence. Like we, we lived in a dorm at the time and I would do anything just to like cross paths with her. Like, I would just pretend to do laundry so I could be in the lobby at the same time she was. I've told the story before. I would literally watch her outside, kind of creepy, but, like, she'd be coming in, and I'd be like, I got to get downstairs somehow. i just grab my laundry just so I could see her. Because, like, I wanted to be in her presence. Why? Because love engulfs us, right? It's a whole bodily response. Like, I wanted to study, not because I love school, because I wanted to study with her. Just everything changes. You guys ever experienced this? And it's funny because, like, all of these things, like, and, and even, like, I told you guys, I think a couple months ago, like, I literally changed my entire school schedule my second semester to make sure we had classes together. Like, degrees secondary, classes with Christy, first and foremost. Now, what's funny is because, like, if you didn't know the motivation behind it, it could become, kind of seem almost like, just really lay it down, like, I would, I would go and um, change my classes and... Uh, I'd go do laundry, and I'd go out of my way, and I'd inconvenience myself. Like, if I didn't know the emotion and the motivation behind it, it could almost sound tedious. It could almost sound religious. But when you understand the motivation and this idea of love, love will always produce a pure devotion. Now, parents, you guys know this, especially when when your kids are little, right? Like, on the surface, things don't really make sense. 
because you had this little baby, like especially moms, and your life just flips upside down. Like you literally can no longer sleep. You can no longer eat. You can barely go to the bathroom. Like you no longer have a schedule. Your schedule is their schedule. And it all seems really, really inconvenient. And you can't even imagine it yet at the same time when you're in it, although it's hard, like you don't want your life to be any other way. Why? Because love just produces something inside of us where we are actually in tuned and turned towards devotion. And the reason that I'm saying this is because this whole series, what I'm trying to show us is the love of Jesus. And the love of Jesus is always supposed to produce something. That's why I said by the end of this series, I don't want us to just sit there and go, oh my gosh, grace is so good. Because if all you can do is sit after you've heard about the grace of Jesus, you don't actually understand the grace of Jesus. Because grace will always produce something. Now, today, I'm, and kind of last week I began on it, talking about what grace produces. But I told you guys a number of weeks back that Galatians is split into three sections. The first section, is a, first section of Galatians is a defense. It's a defense of the good news of Jesus. In other words, Paul is going at great lengths to say, this is what the gospel is not. Second half of the book, Paul was explaining the gospel. This is what the gospel is. And we looked at the big meta-narratives of Scripture. God has always been a God of grace. The last part of Galatians, Paul is now going into the practicalities. In other words, you understand what grace isn't. You know what grace is. This is what grace will produce. This is what it will produce. Now, today, out of perhaps kind of all of the messages in this series, it's going to be more practical than anything else. Because it's going to practically show us what grace produces. But as I say that, I want us to understand the temptation that we will feel as we listen to this message. And it's a temptation that we need to fight against in order for us to fully understand the whole context of Galatians. Some of us might be sitting here as we go through these things, because I'm going to show us what a life in the Spirit will produce. And some of us, as we go through these things, as I describe what a life in the Spirit looks like, if you are not currently in that moment or experiencing those things, the temptation is to go home and say, okay, what are the behaviors I need to change in order to do X, Y, Z? Now, if you understand the whole idea of Galatians, it's not about behavior modification, but heart transformation. And so as we go through these things, this list of a life in the spirit, if what I am describing does not describe your life, the solution is not to try and do what I'm describing. The solution is to say, Jesus, I need your spirit to come and change my heart. I need your spirit to produce these things. Because as we saw last week, our hearts will always lean one of two ways. We're either going to go towards rebellion, which means I do nothing and or whatever I want, or we lean towards religiosity. The third way, come on somebody, who remembers last week, the third way the Holy Spirit way, life in the Spirit, wants to produce a shift in our lives. And so what I want to do today is I want to show us what life in the Spirit looks like. Can we do that? So um, as you guys may or may not know, um, a life in the Spirit, Paul says pretty plainly, um, opposes what a life under the law looks like. They're two different things. Now, when you preach about the idea of grace, the idea of grace is scandalous. I was talking to Braden about scandalous today. Grace is scandalous. And the reason it is scandalous, particularly in church, when you say things like, all we have to do is live under grace, we are no longer under law, the temptation for the Christian is to kind of pucker up and say, well, wait a second. Well, how will I act right if I don't have the law? Harrison, it can't just be grace. I can't just live by the Spirit. Now, Paul's argument is pretty simple. The reason that you're not under the law is because if you're under the Spirit, the Holy Spirit will produce something inside of you that the law could never produce in and of itself. In other words, Holy Spirit transformation is so much different than a law-abiding citizen. I can, I can follow the rules, but that doesn't mean my heart is transformed. And so one of the things that we're going to see uh, as we kind of go to it today um, a life in the spirit is counterfeited by life in the flesh. But here's going to be the part where we have to make a distinction in our heart. 
A life in the spirit and a life in the flesh, especially if you consider yourself a Christian, can look very, very similar. It can look similar because it's a counterfeit. But the thing about a counterfeit is that it's not actually real. And so as we go through these things, what I want us to do constantly is to understand our heart motivation. So in simple, I'll, I'll kind of explain it like this. Life in the spirit versus life in the flesh. So life in the flesh is all about me, right? Me, me, me. If I, if I want to examine my heart, how do I know I'm living in the flesh? Super simple. Your main priority in life is always you. One of the main markers that you are living in the flesh is that the main priority of your life is you. It is me. And what happens is, and we talk about this a lot in this series, is that when we become the number one priority in our life, especially in the religious sense, especially when we consider ourselves Christians, if our life is only about us, the result will always be outer judgment. We'll always judge other people. Now, a life that is grace-based and a life that is spirit-led, what we're going to see is all about others. It's all about others. Life in the flesh is all about me. Life in the spirit is all about others. So put really simply, here's this little thing to kind of get us going. When the Holy Spirit comes into our life, the Holy Spirit will shift how we think from me to we. When the Holy Spirit comes into my life, it will shift how I think from me to we. A life off track, super simple, it is all about me. When you have a disagreement, all I can think about is me. When I have a conflict, all I can think about is me. When I come to church, all I can think about is me. I hope the sermon speaks to me. I hope the music speaks to me. I hope that I'm going to have a good time. Me, me, me. When I think about my money, all I think about is me. I'm saving my money so I can please me, myself. <laughs> And I. But a life in the spirit is all about others. You see, I'm going to blow your mind. Sin, listen to this, sin, 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 sin. Every single sin that you will ever commit in your life, no matter what it is, it is rooted in one thing and one thing only. Selfishness. Every sin you will ever commit, it is always rooted in selfishness. And so, the very essence of a life in the Spirit is that we are following after the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is making us more like Jesus. Now, what we know about Jesus is that Jesus is not selfish. Jesus is selfless, right? We've talked for 10 weeks about how while we were in sin, in the midst of it, Jesus died for us. Jesus gave himself for us. And so as followers of Jesus, if Jesus gave himself for us, what you need to realize is that what the Holy Spirit wants to produce inside of us will always be for others. Always be for others. So what we're going to see today, three things that the Holy Spirit will urge us to do. So Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. So, first thing the Holy Spirit is going to encourage us to do, the very first thing the Holy Spirit will produce in us, our life will always be about lifting others up. First thing the Holy Spirit is going to produce is that we're going to lift each other up. One thing that I said um, throughout this series, I said God is in the business of redemption. Right? God is in the redemption business. A synonym for redemption, restoration. God is in the restoration process. That's, that's the theme of this book. The Holy Spirit is in the business of restoring. So everything that God wants to do, God wants to restore. And so when it comes to how we live as followers of Jesus, the general disposition of your heart is I am in the business of restoring. I'm in the business of restoring relationships. I'm in the business of restoring friendships. I'm in the business of restoring people's picture of who Jesus is. I'm in the res restoration business. But the language he uses is really simple. He says, if someone is caught in sin, he says, you who live by the Spirit should restore. This is really important. How many guys know people caught in sin? All of us. 
How many of you guys are currently caught in sin? Don't raise your hand. If someone is caught in sin, you should restore. Now, anyone that has any semblance of anything in their life, when they see someone struggling, the natural disposition, which I believe comes from God, is that we want to restore. But Paul makes a very specific distinction about who should restore. He does not say everyone should restore. He says, only you who live by the Spirit. Why? Because if I'm living in the flesh, even if I do things for outside of, even if I do things outside of myself, because I'm living in the flesh, everything is still intrinsically selfish. And so what that means is I can seek to restore, but I'm not actually in the business of restoration. I'm in the business of making myself look better. And so what happens, because the flesh is all about me, so the flesh wants to condemn. So we're not actually building up. We're not actually restoring. We're just condemning. Because condemnation, if I can condemn people, it makes me look better. It makes me feel better. It makes me believe I am morally superior to someone else. You see, the heart of religiosity has nothing to do with behavior, but everything to do with motivation. What is my heart's motivation? And so what happens if I'm living in the flesh and I see people in sin, I see people doing things they shouldn't do, the main motivation in my heart is not that I'm worried about people, not even that I care about people, but there's something inside of me like, oh, they should know better. Like, I'm gonna, oh, I'm going to show them how wrong they are. Ooh, they should know what the Bible says. But a life in the Spirit, you need to understand this. If we are living in the Spirit, whenever we see anyone in sin, whenever we see anyone falling off the path, our heart should always break. Our heart should break. Because we follow a God of restoration. And so when we see broken things, our spirit is not condemnation, but restoration. How do we make things better? You see... Paul says, if the verse is up there, he says, again, you who live by the Spirit should restore. You should restore that person gently. Now, the, the Greek term for restore, if you guys want to be smart today, um, is katarizo. That's like the Greek word. Now, the word that Paul uses is actually um, a surgical term. So, so literally, the word he is using um, is the same word to describe bones like coming back together. It's, it's a surgical term. And so the idea that Paul is saying when he talks about restoration and those of us in the business of restoration, he says they should do it gently. They should restore gently. But he's speaking like a surgery. Now, what he is saying, this is so important because it's only you who live by the Spirit, he's saying as we go into conflict, he says the Holy Spirit is actually the doctor. This is important. You who live by the Spirit should restore, but the Holy Spirit is the doctor. How many guys, and I know we kind of have some doctors. I don't think we have any surgeons in the room today. Maybe we do. Um, but any of you guys had a surgery before? A few people? I had shoulder surgery last year. Um, and it's funny because, like, I made a big mistake. I went on YouTube and I watched the surgery beforehand. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, they treat me like a doll because you're fully under for the surgery. And I went and watched it, and then they kind of prop you up like you're a piece of meat. Um, and they get in there and do the thing. But as I was watching it, I was like, man, like, I'm so thankful uh, that my surgeon has done this a thousand times before. Like, I'm thankful that he's a professional. I'm thankful he's gone to school. Because, like, I don't, want, I don't want no rookie performing surgery on me. Why? Because he will do uh, damage that probably cannot be reversed. This is really important. Paul is saying, as we seek to restore, the reason he gives one simple request, the only ones who should restore are those who are living in the Spirit. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is the doctor. And if you're not living in the Spirit and you are seeking to restore in your flesh, you're going to do more damage than good. Have you guys ever tried to restore something? Maybe it was a conflict and you, and you guys got together and by the end of it, things were worse off than they started? Like you went into it like, oh, I'm going to fix this thing. Like, I know just what to say. I, I listened to a podcast, and, like, it gave me three practical steps, like, breathe, or like whatever it is. And you go in there, and things come out worse than when you started. It's because what Paul is saying is that the Holy Spirit is the expert. In the process of restoration, without Jesus, 
it's going to be one big giant mess. And so I'm going to give you a really practical advice for those of us who are in conflict right now or those of us that need to actually restore something gently. You have a conversation. You have a person you need to talk to. Can I tell you the best thing to do? It's not a podcast. It's not a book. It's just pray. It's just pray. Before the conversation, just say, Jesus, I need your Holy Spirit. I need your words right now. Because what happens over and over again, I've been there, you've been there. You can come in with the best intentions, but the flesh is just looking to be offended. It's just waiting to be offended. And so I can go in like, ooh, I'm going to restore, I'm going to love, and then they say something. It's like, what did you say? You, this is my fault. This is your fault. <laughs> You're the one in sin, not me. So Paul says, we need the Holy Spirit. So listen, before you send that text, pray. Before you write that email, pray. And if you're truly in conflict, don't text or write an email. Call someone. But before you make that call, pray. If it's real conflict, don't you dare call them. Meet them in person. But before you get there, pray. And say, Holy Spirit, God of restoration, the God that met me in my sin, would you be with me now? Now, what he says, continuing, because again, first thing Holy Spirit's going to do is going to cause us and push us to restoration, push us to lift each other up. But he continues and he says, as we restore, he says, watch yourself or you also might be tempted. As you go in, if someone is caught in sin, now I'm kind of talking about conflict. I'll get back to conflict in a second. But maybe we're walking with someone, they're a brother, they're a sister, they're a friend, and they're caught in some kind of sin. Like nothing to do with you, they're just they're caught in sin. Paul says, watch yourself or you might be tempted. You might be tempted to fall into the very same thing that they are. Now, you've experienced this because you have that one person that gossips all the time. And it's like, you know what? Like, I think, like, I think God's telling me to you know, say something to them. And you go and hang out with them and you spend more time and you don't have the courage to say anything. You guys ever been there? Then by the end of the conversation, you're also gossiping and it's gossip girls, gossip guys by the end of it. Paul says, hey, you can have the best intentions, but watch out. Because guess what? Jesus says it like this. He says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You need not underestimate how weak you are. And this is what keeps us humble, especially as we go to restore people. Because the moment I think that I am some person that is above sin, above temptation, I will fall. I see this all the time, especially with people walking um, someone through sexual sin, pornography. It's like, you know what? I'm going to help my brother out. And you get into these conversations and what happens, and it's happened so many times, is that as the conversations go on, you, you, you go there with the best intentions, like, I'm going to help this person, but your mind and your flesh is weak, and so all of a sudden, you've, you've been helping a little too much, and now you're being tempted with the very same thing because the devil just needs a foothold. And so I encourage people, specifically struggling with sexual sin, because it's a big thing. I know it's a big thing in this room today. If you want someone to help you out, the person to help you out is not the same person struggling. You need someone to step above you. You need someone that's been through it because if not, the same thing is happening to that to you is going to happen to them. Another way this happens, and I really want to hit on this one, is that what we need to understand is that God has standards. God has moral standards. But what happens, what the Holy Spirit does, is the Holy Spirit breaks our heart for people, specifically when they're caught in sin. But what can happen is that the more that we walk with people, the more that we love people, the more that we, we journey with them, there is this temptation for something inside of us to want to excuse their sin. I say, you know what, like, I know, I know what the Bible says, but like, I just love this person. Like, there's no way what they're doing is wrong. And so what happens, this is really important, suddenly instead of restoring, we just end up ignoring. Because like, I don't want to say anything. They're my, they're, my, they're my friend. I don't want to hurt them. I don't want to offend them. But what you need to understand, a deep belief you need to have is that anything that, is, that God calls sin will actually lead to our destruction. And the only reason God calls us to restore specifically people caught in sin is because there is a belief that whatever the sin is, it is actually destroying them. But there's something inside of us that we can actually just be so for people 
that we can ignore the things that are actually hurting them. And so Paul says, watch out, or you may be tempted. And what he says, he continues, verse 6, or verse 2, he says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. So listen, especially for those of us, we're walking through with people. Like, how do, how do I toe the line between like judging them and loving them and restoring but not ignoring? Super simple, carry their burden. Carry their burden. We always carry, we never condemn. We carry, we don't condemn. But the whole idea of carrying connotates that there is something that you are holding on to. Ignoring will never have a weight to it, but carry the burden. You see, and there's this lie, and I think it comes from the pits of hell, that says, in order to love people, I must love everything they do. That's a lie from the devil. Like Harrison, I can't love people unless I love every part of them. That's just who they are. That's a lie from the devil. If there is something in their life that is destructive, it is actually slowly killing them. And to love them is not to keep them where they are, especially if the thing is slowly taking away their life. To love is not to love everything that someone does. Parents know this very well. We love our kids. I love my kids. But guess what? If they're outside and they see a Cheerio that's been out there for six months, full of mold, they'll go to eat it. But the loving thing for me is not to say, hey, I love you. You eat that Cheerio. It's to say, hey, I see something you don't see. And if you're worried, like, Harrison, how will I do this tactfully? How will I not offend? How will I not hurt? Holy Spirit. Simple as that. Holy Spirit, Jesus, I need the divine words right now to get through this. And guess what? The Holy Spirit will help. Another great way in order to not make it worse is what he says next. Galatians chapter 6, verse 3, he says, If anyone thinks they are something when they're not, they deceive themselves. Each person, person should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else, for each should carry their own load. Here's the second thing the Holy Spirit will always lead you to do, especially as we're seeking to build people up, to, to, to lift people up, I should say. The Holy Spirit will always lead us to self-reflection. The first place in any restoration process, conflict, is self-reflection. If you want to remember this, the Holy Spirit will lead you to check yourself before you wreck yourself. Come on, write it down. The Holy Spirit will lead you to check yourself before you wreck yourself. Now, one of the things I said at the start, I said, well, Harrison, you said that the Holy Spirit will always lead you outer. This kind of sounds inner. But what I want us to understand is that all of the inner work the Holy Spirit does in our life is in order that everything around us and outside of us would get better. You see, self-reflection always leads to restoration. Self-reflection is the first step in restoration. Because what happens, especially in conflict, is we get so busy looking at the other person. Well, this is what they did to me. This is what they took from me. This is how they hurt me. But what can happen, especially as we look at others, is we ignore our own spiritual condition. But one of the first works of the Holy Spirit will always be to lead me inwards. Jesus says it like this in Matthew chapter 7. He says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eyes and pay no attention to the plank in your own? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take out the plank of your own eye. Then you will see clearly. Look at this. Then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. In other words, unless I have first examined what I have done, I actually can't think clearly. I actually can't think, see, I can't think or see clearly. One of the reasons, you guys have kind of heard the saying, like my blood is boiling, I'm seeing red. You literally cannot see or think clearly. And the reason being is because you are caught in offense. And you're just looking at what the other person has done. What have they done to me? 
Jesus says the place of restoration, the place of reconciliation does not start with them, but it starts with me. This is why I like this culture that we live in, this cancel culture. I say it all the time. It is so unbiblical. It is the opposite of grace. Because cancel culture literally says, I see something wrong. Right? At the heart of cancel culture many times, there's actually good there. Like I see something wrong. I see something that needs to change. But what happens, it says the solution, in order for there to be real change, is to condemn and cancel other people. The solution to ending hate is to cancel the people I perceive as hateful. The solution to racism is to cancel and get rid of all the people I perceive as racist. The solution to racism is to tear down a statue of George A. MacDonald from 100 years ago. That'll end it. That'll do it. The Bible says the solution to hate, division, racism is not to look outwards, but to look inwards. And we do a disservice when we believe that the solutions to hate, injustice, prejudice, whatever it is, exists somewhere else. The solution and the process to restoration exists within. But Harrison, I'm not hateful. I'm not a racist. Paul says, you ain't all that. Check yourself. Check yourself. All of us are hateful. You don't want to hear this, but all of us at times are racist. All of us at times are angry. All of us at times are impatient. All of us at times are offensive. That's why I said that you deserve to be canceled. You do. That's the truth. But I also said Jesus didn't cancel you. He called you instead. Because he's a God of reconciliation. You see, compassion is always born out of grace. And the only way I can have grace and compassion for other people, specifically those that I view as the worst of these, is only when I can begin to believe that the very thing that exists in them exists in me as well. You see, cancel culture says only they have those things in them. The Bible says we all have the same disease. It's called sin. It exists in all of us. And so without Jesus, listen to this, without Jesus, I'm just as capable to do anything of any of the people that I view as the worst of these. So Jesus says, look inwards first. Now those are macro concepts of hate, racism, so on and so forth, but let's go micro for a second. How many guys in this room are in conflict right now with someone? You don't wanna, okay, sure. You can raise your hand. I was gonna say, how many guys are in conflict with someone you're sitting beside right now? Um, <laughs> now, the reason, whatever the conflict is, you're in the conflict for one reason and one reason only. You believe the other person is to blame. That's it. The reason you're in conflict is because you believe the other person is to blame. I want to help you out because you can't change the other person. And I know some of us are saying, well, Harrison, like, I know the conflict will persist because the other person isn't here. They can't change. Listen, you never have control over the other person. All you have control over in every conflict is yourself. And so I want you to understand this. In a conflict, if you perceive the other person is responsible for the majority of the conflict, that's fine. Forget about it. But listen to this. If you are 1% responsible for the conflict, you are 100% responsible for your 1%. Let me say it again. I'll change the number because you guys ain't that good. If you're 5%... <laughs> responsible for the conflict, you are 100% responsible for your 5%. What that means is I don't have time to think about what the other person could do or should do. I can only think about what I can do. And the reason I said the reason you're in conflict is because you believe the other person is to blame is because it happens over and over and over and over again. If one party seeks reconciliation Time and time and time again, you will see that both parties will be reconciled. But in the vast majority of conflict, neither party is willing to be reconciled. And so the conflict persists, and it gets worse. And so, again, Paul says, if anyone thinks they are something when they're not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Listen, literally, a prayer. God, what role did I play in this conflict? 
What role did I play? I will tell you without fault. Every single time the Holy Spirit will bring something to mind. Now, the reason you don't see it is because the flesh always justifies it. And so you miss it. It's like, well, I called them an idiot, but like, they first offended me. And suddenly I'm back to square one, and I can't actually see what I did. You guys know what I'm saying? Like, I haven't called them in six months, but they haven't called me in a year. So they're to blame. Paul says, test your own actions. Then he says, then you can take pride in yourself without comparing them to anyone else. In other words, I don't have to even think about anyone else. I can just think about what role did I play. In other words, I can do all that I can. All I can do is all that I can. That's it. I cannot control other people. I don't know how they're going to respond. All I can do is control me. And in this, listen to this church, in this we follow the lead of Jesus. Why? Because you and I were to blame. You and I were the accused. You and I were the wrongful party. But the Bible says in the midst of it, in the midst of our sin, Jesus sought reconciliation. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, he didn't wait till you had your act together. God didn't wait till you apologized. He took the first step. And so we here in this room today can take the first step. Super practical. You want to live in the spirit? Go apologize. Listen, you say, Harrison, I just like, God, I want to worship you. I just want to worship you so badly. Like, can I like raise my hands higher? Can I kneel deeper into the ground? Can I shout louder? Like, God, how can I worship you? Listen, I'll give you the best praise you're going to give God all day. Go home and say, I'm sorry. That is the best worship you can give God today. It is music to his ears. It is an aroma of sweet praise to say, I'm sorry. Why? Because God loves reconciliation. Jesus says it like this. He says, um, those of you guys, kind of uses old temple language, but he says, if you have to come to church, but you got beef, you got conflict, he says, forget church. Forget the worship set. Forget all hail King Jesus. He says, go home. And reconcile first. Because the truth is this. We're not compartmentalized beings. Meaning we work together. And when you have conflict, you can't actually worship God. You can't. He can get portions of you. But our whole is in conflict. And so the best that we can do is literally say sorry. Just go say sorry. Listen, marriage. Married people. Dating people. Marriages end all the time because of bitterness. Because of bitterness. It's just offense on offense on offense on offense. One of the things, if you ever talk to couples and, and walk through them, just in the process of restoration, you can tell a couple is offended when they begin to bring things up from years ago. But they speak as if it happened yesterday. Why? Because there's never been reconciliation. Because neither party has sought to restore. Now I know someone's sitting here today and they're saying, oh, Harrison, I'm so glad you preached this message because the person that offended me is in the church today. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. My prayers are answered. My husband's going to apologize. <laughs> First John chapter one, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. Come on. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is literally not in us. In conflict, you think you have no role to play. You are deceiving yourself. Because all of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. Listen, the new way, the Holy Spirit way, I look for restoration. I look for restoration. The best place to start is always within. It's within. Paul says, don't look around, just look within. But then he slips in verse six, and I'll just say it again. He says, nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. So he's basically saying like, hey, the person that kind of helps you look in, share your good things. Pay your pastor, basically what he's saying. Um, I'll let the Holy Spirit work on that one. Um, we're going to move forward. I'm, I'm not lying. I'm like literally like when I've re like 
as I'm studying this this week, I'm like, why did Paul throw this in? It's so random. Because um, literally what he's saying is ministers should be paid for what they do. Um, anyways, <laughs> it seems random, but I guess he's hoping the Holy Spirit just <laughs> works on someone's heart. Um, in the church of Galatia. Um, so continuing, he says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Here's the thing. So many of us are praying, God, how come my life is filled with conflict? Like maybe you've been on your knees for months. Like, God, why aren't you restoring? Why aren't you fixing things? I've been praying. I've been fasting. I've heard the first 10 parts of Galatians. Why aren't things getting better? Paul says God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. In other words, if you're living in the flesh, the flesh will reap destruction. If all I am thinking about is me, listen, there's no prayer to change that. You can say it like this, no amount of prayer can change my bad choices. It's not gonna happen. Because like, if I offend people, if I'm quick with my tongue, does God forgive me? Yes. Is God full of grace? Yes. Will I pay for my actions? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so the question we need to ask ourselves is, what am I, what am I putting in right now? Because those who sow from the flesh will reap destruction. But he says, those who sow to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Listen to this, church. And I, I feel like, and this is kind of where I've just been in this whole message about restoration. I think God wants to just stay here for a second. One of the things you will find as you begin to live in the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit, the track that he will take you on is the world apology tour. This is where he takes you, right? I'm sorry for offending you. This is what I could have done better. This is what I see in myself. You see, the closer I get to Jesus, the more I do not see sins in others, the more I see sins in me. The more I see my own character, my own pride, my own shortcoming. But as I, as I sow to please the Spirit, he says the Spirit will produce eternal life, which means that God wants to restore, God wants to redeem. And the best way that he does that is when we begin to live in the Spirit. And that's why I said as we understand grace, we don't just sit down and do nothing. We begin to act in, um, we begin to move forward in action. I said, God, where are you calling me? What is the work that you want to do? Because I want to reap eternal life, not just, not just get into heaven, but I want to restore relationships here and now. You see, over the last 11 weeks, I hope we've had a perceptive perception shift in terms of the grace of Jesus and just how good it is. And when we understand it, this is what it produces. Restored relationships, restored marriages, restored friendships, a restored image of even how I see God, that God is for me. And so Paul says, let us not grow weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Listen, at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Because some of you guys are saying, Harrison, I've apologized before, it didn't go anywhere. You guys been there? But Paul says, don't give up. Don't give up. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, right? Keep going, keep going. Continue to restore, continue to apologize, continue to look inwards. Then at the right time, you'll reap a harvest. So he says, as we have every opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. So last thing, Holy Spirit's gonna lead us to do. The Holy Spirit will lead us to build each other up. That's just what he's gonna do. Listen, our theme for this year as a church is to build, right? We say God is calling us to build. For 10 weeks, 11 weeks, God has been building a new picture of who he is in our hearts, the goodness of his grace, the, the goodness of the restoration he has done for you and I. But I believe where he wants it to go is that God wants us to then now restore the relationships in our lives, to build each other up the same way that he made a way. God wants us to make a way in other people. And so the response to grace is always to build. The response to grace is always to build. God brought us here to build. Can I finish Galatians? I'm gonna finish the book. So Paul, all about grace, all about building, Holy Spirit, 
Here's how he finishes. You can probably guess where it's going. Verse 11, he says, see what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. He's like, this part isn't the scribe. This part's me. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh, trying to compel you to be circumcised, the only, way they, the only reason they want to do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law, yet they want you to be circumcised so they can boast about your circumcision in the flesh. May I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. In other words, in the same way Jesus died for me, I've died to myself. I've died to the old way of living. I now live in the new. I've died to offense. I'm born again to restoration. In the new way, he says, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is a new creation. It doesn't matter how many times you go to church. It doesn't matter how many times you give. It doesn't matter how loud you sing. If my heart is not transformed, nothing matters. I've spoken so much in this series to people whose hearts are hard and yet they still come to church. If that's the place that you were in before this series, you know, man, it didn't even matter. I was walking dead. God's not impressed when I show up. God doesn't care that I put my alarm on. What he wants is a new heart and new creation. And I believe in this series, people have been made new. I just believe it. And so he says, peace and mercy to those who follow this rule, to the, to the, to the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. In other words, leave me alone, y'all. This is the gospel. This is what it is. You know I love Jesus. So he says, the grace, what other way, what other way to end this book? The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you, your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. Amen. That's it. It's just grace. Can we stand up, church? I want us to just receive grace one more time. Jesus, in this place, God, I just pray for those of us that needs reconciliation, that today is the day that it happens, God. I just thank you that you have paved the way on the cross. And God, I pray for grace to fall fresh and to fall new again. I pray that the scales of our, that were on our eyes that held us back from that clear picture of you, Jesus, I pray today is the day that we receive it. God, may we never go back to the old, but live in the new. And I just pray today, Jesus, that someone moves from, from death to life. I thank you for what you've been doing in this series, God. We love you, Jesus. We pray in your mighty, in your holy name. Hey, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to that message. We hope that you were encouraged and inspired. If you made a decision to follow Jesus or you want to find out more about our church, why don't you head over to kingdomchurch.ca. We would love to get in contact with you. Until next time, take care.